0: This is the Ultimate Attorney Podcast, the podcast for small law firms who want to create a thriving legal practice. Each week, we'll uncover the ways that you can improve your referrals, your marketing, and your business operations, helping you to generate more revenue and elevating your life and your law practice. In each episode, we'll tap into some of the closest guarded secrets from industry titans, thought leaders, and legal specialists. We're glad that you've tuned in. And once again, it's time to help you become an ultimate attorney. Hey everyone, my name is Dre Redfern. And
1: this is Alexis Neely.
0: And welcome back to the Ultimate Attorney Podcast, where in this week's episode, we're gonna cover credit and debt oh my gosh so much to talk about here when it comes to unpacking when to take on debt when to use credit the best ways to use these tools to grow your legal practice once you're taking on credit or debt how do you get out of it and really how do you use these tools to your advantage when it comes to growing your legal business
1: yeah this was such a big thing for me Dre, when i first started out in law practice i was not a, un, I did not understand debt. I thought it was a horrible thing. I had a consumer mindset around debt and credit. And truly, I was absolutely terrified to ever think of taking on any credit or debt to build my law practice. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of us are in that. That worldview, uh, we come out of a consumer reality instead of a creator or a business person reality, and you know we've been watching. Well, at least in my case, I've been watching Susie Orman for years, and she's you know never take on debt. I don't know if anybody remembers her. I think she's like off the air now. But Dave Ramsey certainly you know shares that, and everything's about getting out of debt, getting out of debt. And yet, I had taken on a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt that was never a question of, oh, of course I'll take on debt to go to law school. But then the idea of taking on debt to be in business for myself was like a big taboo. It was like a, a big no in in my reality until I got into law practice for myself. And at first I was trying to do everything out of revenue, which was hard to do because I didn't really know how to generate revenue. You know, I'd had that big law firm job right out of law school and the six-figure paycheck. And and then I left to start my own law firm figuring, well, it'll be pretty easy to just get like four clients a month. And, you know, they'll each pay me around $2,500 for an estate plan. That should be pretty easy. And so then I'll have 10000 a month. And that's what I was, you know, bringing home and my paycheck after taxes and insurance and, and retirement account and all that. So I'll, I'll be fine. Well, you can probably, if you've got any experience at all with money, start to see where my thinking was flawed. And first of all, I didn't account for taxes at all. Second of all, I did not account at all for how hard it would be to get those four clients each month because I didn't have any system for doing so. Um, even though I could get you know people to come in and meet with me, I didn't know how to get them to actually hire me. And there were so many investments that I had to make that I hadn't prepared for in the beginning of my law practice. So it became pretty clear pretty quickly. I was going to have to invest in my law practice beyond the revenue I had coming in. And that was really scary. And at first I just decided, well, you know, I've got a good credit score, so I'll just use my personal credit cards. That was a huge mistake. And I'm going to tell you why in a little while. But first, I'll just, you know, kind of tell you the whole pathway. So I'll use my personal credit cards. And I think the very first thing that I used my personal credit card for was like I went to the used furniture store and bought this big, huge desk for my office where I would sit on one side and my sister who was going to do my bookkeeping would sit on the other. And it was like a two-sided desk. So we both had, you know, our side of the desk was... um, like the back of the desk. It was, it was a really amazing vintage desk. So I was the used, used store, used furniture store. Oh, that's okay. It's okay to put that on my, you know, on my credit card. That's fine, I need a desk. And and then I think probably Dell, you know, I went to Dell and got like some financing for a computer. Well, that's okay. That's not like, really like using using debt, right? Using <laughs> credit. And then when I wanted to grow to the next level, I wanted to actually build out an office space for myself. That might've been the first time that I really started looking at using credit and debt because now I wanted to take a garage in a historic home and convert it into my own office space. And I certainly didn't have the revenue for that. By then I actually had learned how to engage clients, I had learned how to educate my community and generate business, but this was going to be like a $50,000 build out. Maybe somewhere around that. And I didn't have the backup resources, the reserves in my operating accounts to be able to to be able to do that. And I remember at that point sitting down with a banker in my community and he changed my entire perspective on Using credit and debt. And he said, Of course, you're a business person. You're building a business. Every business person who is building a business is going to use credit to build their business. It's just the wise thing to do because you are going to want to make investments in your business before you have the revenue to support those investments. For example, you want to build out this office space to support clients that you don't yet have. So you're going to finance the investment in building out that space, and then you're going to pay that back with the clients that you're going to get as a result of you having that space. And that was a huge mind-opener, a huge eye-opener for me. All of a sudden, I was no longer thinking about credit and debt as a consumer, but as a creator, as somebody who was investing in something that was going to create more in the future. And I would use that more to pay back the credit, the debt that I had borrowed. And that really shifted everything for me. And and I do want to tell you a little bit more about what I've learned about the right way to use credit and debt and the wrong way to use credit and debt. And I've been down the entire spectrum of it. But before I do that, you know, I want to check in with you, Dre, and see, like, did you ever have a moment like that? Or do you have a different perspective on using credit and debt and building a business?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I've got all sorts of horror stories and what not to do's and a couple of what to do's. Mm -hmm. So from my experience, there's four ways. There's obviously other ways, but these are the primary four ways to, to take on some sort of debt. It's credit lines, you know, some sort of line of credit with a bank that you can use and pay off and it's there for you. Credit cards, loans, and selling equity to, in your business. Those are the four primary ones that we usually talk about. Well, I don't really, I'm not a fan of necessarily any of these for the consumer mindset, just like you said, Allie. But Mm -hmm. there's certain times where depending on the opportunity, it makes sense to use each one of these. And I've used each one of these in different facets. So for example, like when you're growing a business, a healthy business has great margins and it's profitable, but a business that's scaling Often means that margins are shrinking or profitability is shrinking because that means that you're taking the dollar that you earn and maybe investing 90 cents or a dollar or a dollar twenty of that dollar that you earn into growing the practice or the business. Now, on paper or to someone who doesn't understand business, that sounds ludicrous because you know, why would you take a dollar and spend a dollar twenty and putting it back into your business? Well, If you know how to bring on clients, just like Ali said, and you're making these proper investments into your business, then you're actually doing it for a very particular reason. So, shrinking margins or shrinking profitability is not necessarily a bad thing. It can give you more money for marketing campaigns that you can hire more people. There's a lot of good things that can come of it. And I think each of those four facets are good for a certain degree. So, for example, If it's a small amount of money the credit cards are just the easiest the business credit cards if it's just a small amount of money for any odd and end thing then usually just you know credit credit lines or lines of credit for you know odds and ends things in the middle loans are on the higher side and selling equity would be on on the highest and i consider it the highest simply because and this, again, this is my personal take on it, you're selling a short-term position in your company or short-term situation for the long-term potential downside. So for example, what I mean by that is that if you think that your law firm is valued at $100,000 right now, and you think that one day in the near future, it could be valued at a million, well, if you gave someone 10% of your business now just to bring them on, or maybe it's a partner or whatever it is, you're giving up $100,000 in the future, the entire valuation of what is essentially worth right now. So in my mind, selling equity or like, you know, that sort of framework is always the least sexy idea to sort of take on. I would always prefer to use credit cards, credit lines, or loans for business investments, for taking it to the next level and really reinvesting some of those profits into the business. Now, I recognize that some law firms are different, some law firms have partners and there's the equity share and all of these sorts of things. It's a very common thing in the legal world. We all know this, but I still position it as the, the thing to do last because having 8,700 law firms as clients on an annual basis and just working with that many attorneys, you see the worst case scenario. And there's so many situations where there's a partner or they brought some other partner on because they thought that it was gonna be the saving grace of the firm or they were gonna have all of these increased billables or whatever the situation would have been. And then fast forward usually to the three year mark, maybe a little bit longer. And then they find out that that quote unquote new partner has been embezzling or they've been hiding things behind the scenes. Like, I can give you literally a thousand different examples because we've seen it. So, I still put that one as like the least desirable, but it is an option when it comes to reinvesting, taking on debt, using credit, or selling a position, selling equity of your entity to make a lot of these investments that Ali's talking about.
1: Yeah. And when you're a, you know, solo or small firm lawyer, you're not going, I don't, I don't see a reality in which you're going to sell equity. I do see a reality in which you're going to use credit, which you're going to take on debt in order to make the investments in your law practice. And the time to do it is when you can see exactly what it is that you are creating. So I would not take on credit or debt to pay your living expenses, for example, unless you are doing so because you can see that taking on the credit or debt to pay your living expenses is a short-term investment that you're making in yourself. So maybe you can stop a practice area that isn't working. Maybe you're in a practice area where you're billing hourly, you're working way too much, you don't have time to make a switch into a practice area that's truly going to be profitable and fulfilling for you. And you might need a short time period where you're paying your living expenses or a short time period where you just aren't gonna take on any new clients in an old practice area. But you can see that you are making an investment You're seeing it as an investment in yourself getting into a new practice area that's going to be profitable, that's going to be fulfilling. So what would you need in order to know that a practice is going to be profitable and fulfilling for you? You would need to know, number one, that you've got a practice model that works for you that you are very clear on who you are going to serve with that practice model. As we said, we'll do a future episode on really choosing who you're going to serve. You need to know that within that practice model, you're going to be able to get hired by clients who need your services and that those services are going to be services that you can receive affordable premium fees for, ideally on a flat fee agreed to in advance basis so that you can map out your financials. When you're doing hourly billing, when you're billing too low, when you're billing flat fees that are too low, you're just ultimately not able to do that. So that's why we really like a practice model where you can Um, know that for example oh I need to make twenty thousand dollars a month to pay my personal expenses to pay my business overhead and I'm able to do that with three four five six clients a month okay great if I'm able to do that with six clients a month do I know how to deliver a service that's going to allow me to generate let's say you know four thousand dollars on average per client and do that with five clients a month. If I know that, if I know that I've got a service that people will value, my ideal clients will value it, let's say $4,000, and I can serve five clients a month, or if you wanted to make $40,000 a month, 10 clients a month, and you know how to deliver on that service, then would it make sense to use credit, number one, to invest in yourself, to learn how to build that practice, to learn how to deliver that service, to learn how to engage those clients, to learn how to educate your community. Absolutely. But if you're going to be using credit just to build a law practice where you cannot vision out those numbers and map out those numbers clearly, then it might not be a good idea for you to use credit to do that because you can't see with clarity exactly how you're going to pay that back. By the way, this is ultimately why I created the cash plan, the cash flow forecasting system that we now have because I did not know how to do this when I was first in practice. So once that banker suggested to me, well, you you know you should use credit to build your law practice. The very first time that I ever filled out a credit application was for you know for my business, not for myself personally, but for my business was a small business administration loan and he helped me to fill it out, and I remember that he asked me how much credit I wanted to receive, and I was like, "Well, what's the least I can apply for <laughs> because I was so afraid to be applying for credit. I was so afraid that I should just take the littlest amount possible. And ultimately, I think looking back, what I was really afraid of is that I knew that I didn't understand any of it. And so I just wanted to take the littlest amount possible because I didn't really trust myself. I was so scared. I didn't understand. Okay. I'm going to get this. I think it was $25,000. I'm going to get this $25,000. It's going to be a line of credit. I, I I think I'm supposed to have a line of credit. I think that's a good idea, but I'm really scared. I'm not going to use it wisely. Now, you know. It's, Probably 15 years later now, and having had all the experiences that I've had, including a bankruptcy, including a rebuilding from that bankruptcy, because I didn't know how to do this cash flow forecasting. Now, whenever I'm taking on credit, it's only with the benefit of having done cash flow forecasting, knowing exactly what I'm going to be using that credit for, how quickly I'm going to be able to pay it back based on what I'm going to be using it for, and how what I'm using it for is going to either increase my knowledge increase my marketing, let's say that I already know how to get clients and I already know how to turn those clients, you know, from, or prospects from interested to engaged and writing me a check. If I already know how to do that, well now using credit, for marketing is a great idea, but using credit for marketing, if I don't know how to get hired by clients is a horrible idea, terrible idea. Never use credit for marketing. If you don't know how to get a person to go from interested, you can do marketing and generate lots of leads, but then not get hired by any of them. So it's really important that you understand what is the credit going to go into? and how is it going to generate a return? Now, you might be at a stage in your own practice where you don't actually know how to deliver on a legal service that people highly value and would be happy to pay you for. Well, in that case, it makes a lot of sense for you to use credit to learn how to deliver such a service. Having said that, I don't think it's a good idea to use credit, for example, to get an LLM unless it's in a very highly specialized area where you need the LLM to deliver that service. And you know exactly how much you can charge for that service and that you're going to have a ready market of people for that service and that you're going to be really fulfilled delivering that service. So for me, that's like what goes into the analysis of when to take on, credit, when to invest in your practice using credit, knowing exactly what you're going to use it for. And then the last piece is what kind of credit should you use? What kind of credit should you use? So before I talk about what kind of credit should you use and my own learnings with that, Dre, I want to just check in and see if you've got anything on what I just said.
0: There's, there's a lot there. And I think, and I've briefly shared some of my own experiences when it comes to this, you know, having good credit, because I'm sure Ali, you probably, you know, couldn't have gotten that loan or it would have been at a much higher interest rate had you not had good personal credit. Yes. Because usually when you apply for some sort of business line of credit or business credit card, they usually pull the business owner's credit at the same time. That's just usually the way it works. Well, so I'm sure you probably wouldn't have got that had you not had it. So having strong personal credit does go a long way, and I've shared a bit about my story about how my, I was starting my business out early on in the whole process when my wife's suit was going on, and that, you know, and if you don't know, heard, haven't heard about the suit, long story short, it was a very successful business, destroyed overnight by someone who made up a whole bunch of lies, went to the news, and we subsequently filed a lawsuit that took three years to play out. Well, when you have a very, very high six-figure business, in your, you know, your, your spouse's business, and you're starting a new business at the same time, and all of a sudden one of those incomes goes away, you have to get creative about how you actually handle the situation. So, as a result, we took on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, a lot of which was credit card debt, but we also knew how to play this game. Just like Ali was saying, is like when to use certain types of debt or loans or credit cards or whatever else to get through. So at the worst of it, we were about half a million dollars in debt, of which all of that is gone. You know, we've got multi seven-figure businesses since then. But understanding this and understanding your personal credit and how it ties into all of these things, whether it's for your business or personal, regardless, is a really, really important thing because you never know when you need it. And our case is the perfect example because we could have never seen or anticipated this coming, but we knew how to play the credit game and the loan game and all of those sorts of things. So we could use those strategies to our advantage when going through that big ordeal. So I'm going to let you keep rolling with it, Alex. You got a lot of great insights there, but I just wanted to share that perspective on the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Sometimes something happens in your business and you've got to take it on and knowing How to take on credit and debt when you need to is incredibly important. And I did not know this in the beginning. So this might be the most valuable part of what you learned today. So first of all, having a great credit score is what gets you access to credit. That's the only thing that your great credit score does. It also could make it easier for you to rent places. I've heard in some cases that it could be important for health insurance rates, although I've never seen that myself. But for sure, it is critical in order for you to get access to credit. Sometimes people think it means something about who they are, and it doesn't. Your credit score doesn't mean anything about who you are. What it means is that you are able to access credit. And if you are in business, I strongly believe that you should be accessing credit, even if you're not using it, just to have it as a backstop. So as you're building your business, one of the things that is a killer for your business is if you are coming from a place of scarcity or fear of running out of money. So having a backstop, having a line of credit or available credit on credit cards is really valuable for you just from the mindset perspective of knowing like, okay, if, you know, we don't have the clients that show up this month and we know we need 10 clients and if only nine show up and it's not the end of the world, like I'm not going to starve, I'm not going to have to fire someone somebody, I've got, you know, these resources that are available to me, I can make it up next month. Knowing that is really important so that you can always come from a perspective of service and not from a perspective of engaging a client just because you need to sell something because you're short on money. So you want to have available credit as a backstop for that when you're building a business. But there are multiple kinds of credit. There's your personal credit, there's business credit on credit cards, and then there's lines of credit. There's also something called corporate credit, which you get by having a a DUNS number, a DUNS number. I would actually ignore that for right now. That is not something that I think is very important for you to focus on at this time. That's more of an advanced strategy that you can use down the road if you're really building your business into a multi-million dollar business. But let's start with the three main types. Your personal credit, you already know what that is. It's personal credit, it's your personal credit cards that are in your own name, they use your Personal credit score. When you use more than one third of the available credit on any one card or on an aggregate of all of your cards, so it's an or, your credit score goes down. So let's say that I have one card that has a credit limit of $10,000 and I use $5,000 of it and I don't pay it off, my credit score goes down. My credit score will not go back up until I bring that card down below one-third usage. So that's not very valuable, right? If every time I use my credit for a big purchase, my credit score goes down because I'm using more than one-third of the available credit, not very valuable, especially when I have a business and I may want to be making some big purchases, some big investments in my business using my credit card which by the way is really great to do on cards that give you miles benefits. Like Chase cards have incredible miles benefits. I had millions of reward miles that I got to use to travel first class. It was super great because I put everything on my American Express or on, at the time, I think it was my Citibank card, but now it's Chase. Chase is the one they give you 100,000 bonus miles. But you don't want that card actually to be a personal business card. Instead, what you want is you want to apply for business credit. Now, business credit uses your personal credit score to determine if you qualify. But when the card is in the name of your business, even though it is using your personal credit score to determine whether you qualify, you can use 100% of the credit available to you, and it does not impact your personal credit score whatsoever because it doesn't report to your personal credit score unless you don't pay it back. As long as you're making your payments, again, you could have 90% of the credit used, used up, and it does not hurt your personal credit score at all, which is much more valuable right? Than using your personal credit card. So a lot of times what we'll see lawyers do is they've used their personal credit cards and they've used them so much that their personal credit score is now down in the 600s. They can no longer qualify for business credit because to get business credit, you need to have a 720 credit score or somewhere around a 720 credit score. The next kind of credit for you to have, and by the way, you can probably get your credit up to 7, $7.15, 720 if, if you have no late payments, just by paying off your, paying off your credit cards and getting them below that one-third ratio, that magic ratio. Finally, there is lines of credit, and those you get through your bank, usually through the Small Business Administration is who's going to give that to your bank. And I do think that what you want is a line of credit, not a straight loan. And a line of credit is really nice because it's basically a chunk of money that sits in a bank account and you don't pay anything on that unless you have used the line of credit. So if they give you $25,000 and that's just sitting there in the bank account, you're not getting charged on that. Now, if you write a check for $10,000 out of that, that's when the interest starts kicking in. But as long as you just have it sitting there, it's just sitting there as a backup for you. I do recommend that if you have a good credit score, that you do apply for business credit and that you work with a company that will help you get that. We actually have a relationship with a company called Fund & Grow. You know what? We'll go ahead and post where you can find the... We we did a webinar with them that explains all of this and why you would want to use a service like Fund & Grow instead of doing it yourself. And you'll watch the whole webinar. You'll see how it all works. And and the reason is, is that oftentimes when you get business credit yourself and you just fill out the applications yourself, the credit card company comes back with a... Like, you know, $2,500 credit limit, not very useful. The fund and grow company has relationships with these business credit card companies and they negotiate it up for you. So they'll take that $2,500, say, here's why you might wanna give this person more and they'll get that limit up to $20,000 for you. So if you want to make some big investments in your law practice using business credit, which often, by the way, is at 0% for six to 12 months or even longer on many of the cards, you really don't wanna do it yourself. If you only need a small amount, let's say you only need three, four, five thousand $5,000 or $10,000, then just go out and apply for business credit in the name of your business using your own personal credit score. But if you want to do like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or even up to $150,000 of business credit, then you'll want to watch the webinar that we did with this company called Fund & Grow. And we'll put that link for you in the show notes.
0: You know, one of the things that, you know, I I touched on it briefly, just lines of credit earlier. You're exactly right, Ali. Like the idea of having money available that you don't have to pay interest on or even pay anything on until you need it is a game changer. Especially if something happens or there's a crisis, like we've got one attorney friend. Who had a crisis? She couldn't even go into work for for nearly six months. Luckily, she had a good team around her that could keep the law practice going and, and appease some of the clients. But revenue dropped dramatically, and she had to rely on these tools—I guess you could call them—to keep the practice up and operational. And a line of credit is is a perfect example. So I can't recommend uh, enough having it there. It's not like you pay anything for it until you need to use it. But in the event that you ever do need to use it, it's going to be a lot higher than that credit card is going to be able to, uh, to allow you to do. And it's just, these are all great tools in your tool belt to use. Because like we said, sometimes you need a credit card. Sometimes you need, sometimes you need the business credit card. Other times you need a business loan, business line of credit. There's a lot of tools in your tool belt, different levers that you can pull depending on what you need. But all of these are necessary tools that you will probably use, I would guess, at one point in time throughout your business career, because they all have a certain position in your growth as an attorney and as a legal business.
1: Yeah. And it's just really smart business to make sure that you're using all of the resources that you have available to you, not from the perspective of a consumer, but from the perspective of a business creator who is creating value in the world. And sometimes that does require you investing in your future creation of that value before you've created the value yet, just like when you went to law school, but even more guaranteed to pay off for you because what you are investing in is learning how to serve clients and learning how to engage those clients and have them hire you and have them happy to have hired you to build your automation systems, your technology, and then to invest in your marketing so that people will see you out in the world and know that they do want to hire you. So using these resources in the right way is really important. I really encourage you to watch the webinar that I've referred to here. We will post where you can find that in the show notes for this show on ultimateattorneypodcast.com. So go to ultimateattorneypodcast.com website, look for this show in the show notes. We'll have a link to that webinar. You'll be able to find that there. And if you've got any questions about this, you'll see right on the website where you can enter in your questions. We are happy to answer those. And we are saving your questions, by the way, for a future show that we'll do that's all Q&A, all the questions that you send in based on what we've shared on today's show. And next time we are going to do an episode on how to choose the right clients to serve, because many of you are not thinking this through at all, You just take whatever walks in the door. We call that being a door lawyer. And frankly, it is the worst kind of law practice to have. It is the recipe for working way too much making way too little, having no fun in your law practice, and really knowing that you're not serving your clients in the best way possible. You do not want to be a door lawyer. So we're going to talk about how to choose the clients that you serve and how really to do what our friend Michael Port says and create a red velvet rope for those clients. So oh, that, I love that. Yeah. So that uh, they they need to cross the red velvet rope to get into your practice. And you, know, you become really the go-to lawyer for the clients in your chosen and market. So we'll talk about that next time on the ultimate attorney podcast.
0: We'll see you all then. Hey there, Dre Redfern here, and we appreciate you listening to this week's episode of the Ultimate Attorney Podcast. Now, before you go, I have three quick things for you. Number one, if you're not already receiving our free premium content, then go to ultimateattorneypodcast.com and register on the right-hand column to receive all of our best free resources. Now, when you do, we'll send you access to our next level law firm bootcamp, which is a seven-day video series to help you reduce the stress of running your law firm, create more revenue predictability, and sell your services with greater ease, and it's all completely free. All you have to do is visit ultimateattorneypodcast.com and register on the right-hand side. The second thing that I have for you is that Ultimate Attorney is going to be hosting a live two-day event in Dallas, Texas on May 2nd and 3rd, and I would love to see you there. During these two days, we're going to walk you through our six-part process to help you level up to create a seven figure law firm and show you how you can radically scale your law firm to meet your goals. We're also giving away more than $2,000 worth of free templates, resources, and implementation plans to help you level up your law firm from the moment you leave the event. You're going to love it, and I would love to see you there. So for more information and to register, simply visit ultimateattorneylive.com. Number three, and finally, we don't monetize this podcast with ads or sponsors. So the best compliment that you could give us would be to rate us five stars on iTunes. And when you do, you'll be entered into our monthly drawing to receive one of our three courses that Ali and I offer that are valued between $1,000 and $3,000 thousand dollars. So don't miss out on that opportunity and we would greatly appreciate your share and your five-star review. So that's all for now. Thank you again for listening to the Ultimate Attorney Podcast and we'll see you on next week's episode.